Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. One of the interesting aspects of being here at Kentucky Humanities and conducting this podcast is getting to know people that you thought you knew, but now getting to know those people better. That's the case with Jane Moore Waldrop. She's been in the writing community for years, but now has the honor and distinction of publishing her first chapbook of poetry. Retracing My Steps was a finalist in the 2018 New Women's Voices Chapbook Series Contest. Jane Waldrop's work takes a, a path through Kentucky with a strong sense of place and journey, and it is a privilege to have you finally before our microphones, uh, and uh, we welcome you. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, not only uh, have you published this first uh selections of poems. Um, you have done uh, um, a number of other writing pieces over the years. And before we get into the poetry aspect of your life, give me a sort of a, and these are the things that uh, maybe I didn't know uh, before until you were so kind to send me a, a bio, which all good authors need to have uh, in their uh, back pocket. And, and I learned some things about uh, where you're from and where you mm -hmm. went to school and all that. So why don't you give me a little recap of that? Well, I am a Kentuckian. Um, in fact, I'm an eighth-generation Kentuckian. And I grew up in Paducah in a family of, of displaced Appalachians who left the mountains before I was born and recreated a life in you know, the flatland of western Kentucky. What took them to uh, Paducah or that area? Well, they uh, they left the mountains during another sort of economic downturn, and based on the coal industry, they they went you know as far west as you can go almost to Paducah, because one of my aunts had married a man from Western Kentucky, and mm. she had moved there, and she was my mother's sister, and they were very close, and so that's what attracted them to Paducah rather than going north like most people did. You still have relatives or some kinship uh, to Appalachia? We do have, I do have, I think, strong kinship and connections. Most of our family, though, has either moved away or, you know, are deceased now. So, no, I don't really have any um, cousins there anymore, but our parents made sure that we knew Eastern Kentucky, especially for me since I was the only one of my siblings not born in Eastern Kentucky. So we went back almost every summer to visit and to get a sense of being an Appalachian. Well, that's uh, somewhat of a rarity for somebody from Paducah. It is. Uh, we were a one-of-a-kind family that we didn't know any other Appalachians. And you... Um, that's a journey that not a lot of, uh, and I'm going to, this is a, a too much of a broad generalization, but I would venture to say that not a lot of uh, uh, folks from western Kentucky, uh, not even where I'm from, south central Kentucky, ever went to eastern Kentucky on purpose. Right, um, right. There's a big disconnect. I mean, just geographically, Kentucky's a very long state. And back before the interstate and parkway system was built, 
it was a long, hard drive to get to Eastern Kentucky. So and you went back and your parents took you back and, and what mm-hmm. do you remember the reason they wanted you to go back and, and, and keep your familiarity with Eastern Kentucky? Well, I think although they built a very good life in Western Kentucky and never left, they never returned to Eastern Kentucky to live, they always considered Letcher County and Pike County home. And so they wanted us to know that and to remember that. And I think also they missed it a great deal. It was a, a, a huge culture change for them to leave the mountains. And um, in fact, one of my nieces, when she was studying cultural anthropology in college, decided that our family was very much like a refugee family hmm. because uh, the, they went to an area that the culture was very different, even though it was still in Kentucky and still in a, a fairly rural area. But, um, you know, they spoke differently. They had different sayings. They had different traditions, uh, even in the same state. So um, I think we were a, a unique family. How did, um, or did it at the very beginning, those roots in Appalachia or your childhood trips back uh, mm-hmm. to Eastern Kentucky influence your, your early writing or when you finally decided to be a writer, although you've probably written all your life? Well, I have written most of my life. Um, in fact, in college, I was an English major and uh, with a journalism minor. So my first job out of college was as a newspaper reporter and editor in Paducah and, and in Western Kentucky at some of the other small newspapers. And then I went back to law school. Uh, and writing is a huge part of being a lawyer, too. So writing is a consistent theme in my life. Um, and But it's only through opportunities like at the Appalachian Writers Workshop that I have, I think, made a stronger connection to those roots and let it show in my writing. Um, I've always identified more closely with Western Kentucky. That's where I grew up. So um, law school and then... Mm-hmm. Uh, an MFA at Murray when they had their program there. Yes, yes, but a big gap in between. Mm -hmm. When I graduated from law school in the 80s and and then went to practice law in Louisville, um, you know, I had swore at the time I took the bar exam I'd never take another test or Mm -hmm. be enroll in another class ever except for the required continuing legal education that I needed to keep my license. But... um, we, we practiced law. My husband and I lived in Louisville for 22 years, and um, when we moved to Lexington 12 years ago, I decided at that time I really wanted to get serious about creative writing, not just legal writing or, um, or dreaming of becoming a writer. So I applied to the Murray State Low Residency Program. UK had talked for years about starting a full-time MFA program. That would have made a lot of sense for me here in Lexington. But I felt like I couldn't wait any longer. I was ready to roll. Um, So I applied to the Murray program in 2011, started in 2012, and graduated in 2014. And... In fiction, by the way. Not in poetry, but in fiction. So, yeah. So what influence did uh, Murray and your MFA low residency program have on 
your writing? What do you remember um, about learning about fiction or, or poetry for that matter? And that's kind of an interesting transition. I, I'd like to know more about okay. that. In fact, you well, just told me you were taking your first poetry class yeah, at the Hanman Settlement School uh, yes, at the, at the, at the conference, week. at the writer's conference. Yeah. So, so you, so you didn't taken, take that at Murray. <laughs> no, I've taken a long convoluted path to, uh, to this book. Um, when I started at Murray, I felt in the low residency uh, MFA program, I felt like I needed to make them a commitment to be a writer. And I really wanted to write fiction and still write fiction. Um, but I felt like I needed the discipline of a program and I also needed the instruction. Mm -hmm. You know, from years of both newspaper writing and legal writing, you learn to take the emotion out of your writing. You need to be neutral. Certainly in legal writing, you can advocate and you should advocate for your clients, but it shouldn't be on an emotional basis. And I feel like I learned more about how to, um, to put emotion into my writing. I think it's an important part of fiction and it's an important part of poetry too, to draw the readers in uh, so that they'll have an emotional connection to your writing. So you were, uh, did, did you publish there or finish, uh, what was your, a thesis, for My example. thesis was a, a, a collection of five short stories, and most of those short stories have been published mm -hmm. now. Um, and I have, I took one of those stories, and it became the basis for a link story collection that I have finished now, and that I'm actually shopping around mm -hmm. now, so looking for a publisher. So, and it is set in Western Kentucky, the link story collection. Um, around the lakes areas. Um, you know, Western Kentucky had a major change in its landscape from the 1940s uh, through the 1970s with three major federal projects with Kentucky Dam, which formed then Kentucky Lake, uh, Lake Barkley, when Barkley Dam was built, and then Land Between the Lakes was, became a national recreation area. So those, that is the setting for my Link Story Collection. All of the stories uh, somehow connect to that place. Mm. So the place is the linking factor. And there are many characters who have some association with that place. When did you make the turn to poetry? Well, it was um, just a couple of years ago. And again, it was at the Appalachian Writers Workshop. And uh, there are always great readings at night and I remember listening to Gurney Norman as he read the poem Allegiance which is just a wonderful poem so place-based so Kentucky um, and I was thinking you know Gurney is mostly known for his fiction work mm -hmm. his short stories and novels and of course he writes poetry too but uh, that week I just experienced so many writers uh, reading from all different genres and I think and I was told multiple times it just benefits your writing to try different things and to try different genres and to stretch a bit so I decided to start writing some poetry so the week I got home from the from Heinemann I wrote my first poem then I went for a writing residency at Rivendell Writers Colony and spent that two-week period working on poetry and reading poetry and 
that's how it all came about. So for those uh, listening who don't know the Hanman uh, Appalachian Writers Conference uh, in, at the Hanman Settlement School in Hanman, Kentucky, uh-huh. uh, tell us uh, what one could expect and what um, it's been going for a long, long time. Yeah, and, I think um, 42 years yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the, their 40th anniversary, I think, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was mm-hmm. last year. Um, but writers and writers who are people who want to become writers, who want to get serious about their writing, come to Heinemann each July for, uh, I think it's a six-day writer's workshop taught by some of the best authors and thinkers uh, in this part of the world. So it's a wonderful opportunity to, um, to find your voice as uh, a writer from this part of the world, I think. So you take, uh, you either apply in poetry, fiction or nonfiction, you workshop your piece, you submit a piece, you have to apply and be accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the workshop itself, you workshop your piece, which means that your classmates read your work and give you suggestions, and then your instructor gives you very valuable suggestions on what you need to do to become a better writer mm-hmm. and how to tell this story. And it's a, a really uplifting experience. There's a wonderful community through the Appalachian Writers Workshop that I think is beneficial to anyone who wants to write. It's um, you're, you're encouraged to tell your story because you're the only person who can tell that story. And I think that's great for, uh, for any beginning writer to hear. And uh, once a year uh, during the Writers' Conference, they bring in, most of the time, somebody that everyone would uh, recognize. Um, yes. And uh, they are sort of the keynote speaker. They, yes. It, it's I think a, it's the James Still lecture. It's, uh, I guess, an endowed lecture of some yes. sort. It, it enables them to bring in uh, people like Nikki Finney and Barbara Kingsolver and Dorothy Allison and Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry's been and Nikki and Giovanni was last many year. Many others uh, are just uh, for for years. So it's really it's 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 quite a special place in the mountains, and uh, it's a place where uh, I guess I was a little bit surprised having gone earlier and then going uh, back uh, last year that that there were so many from West Virginia and Virginia. So many, not only instructors, but but students too. I mean, they almost outnumber the Kentuckians. Yes, and Tennessee and North Mm -hmm. Carolina too. It's a really, Mm -hmm. you know, it attracts a great group. It's a wonderful community and it's very supportive and generous. Uh, You know, you have writers like Silas House who take just um, a really close interest in the, the possibilities that come out of the mm-hmm. workshop and the writers there. And uh, Rebecca Gale Howell has yes. an appointment there, a noted uh, Kentucky a poet who's doing such great work all over the state, maybe all over the nation, uh, yes. uh, writing for uh, several other publications. and. Um, yes, she's an editor at the Oxford American, and so she's really uh, somebody uh, kind of neat to run into on campus and and, and talk yes. with. And she does a, a lot of the work down there, um, and others too. I mean, there have been a lot, and then there there are many writers, uh, maybe some that we're not as familiar with from those other states that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just mentioned uh, the West Virginia Port Laureate uh, Mark Harshman, mm-hmm. who has been there and and who was there last year. I don't right. know if Mark's going to be back. I don't think he's. I don't back know this if year. he's teaching this yeah. year or not, but uh, yeah, he's. 
there's just this wonderful community that yeah. you get to be part of, and then you start seeing them in other spots. Like I was at the Appalachian Studies Association annual conference in Asheville this March, and so you start seeing and making connections to these people, and everyone is just so supportive and generous about each other's work. Well, let me, if I can, uh, if I may, read a couple of blurbs from uh, your work, sure. uh, because it it never hurts to run into those people. Uh, one of the other people that we did not mention, uh, Georgella Lyon, has yes. been there uh, at She's the Appalachian Writers uh, Workshop. Absolutely. She is a an integral part of the writer's workshop, and I think she's going to be there this year, too. And she said this about your work, uh, Jane. Uh, in this debut chapbook, Jane Moore Waldrop maps her own and her family's journey with a clear eye and a steady voice. An added gift of these carefully crafted poems is how they'll call us to consider our own journeys. I look forward to where Waldrop will take us next. Uh, Gurney um, said... Uh, retracing my steps is presented as a chapbook, but the power of the poems inside give it the force of a fully achieved book. Waldrop's, uh, Waldrop's voice is strong, clear, confident, convincing. He writes a blurb like he writes his uh, own uh, <laughs> work, doesn't he? Uh, then he goes on, and, and, and then uh, we mentioned Rebecca Gale Howe, uh, and this is, this is beautiful. Uh, Waldrop debuts a voice capable not only of revisioning her own life, but also those of countless other women. Waldrop is that rare writer who understands each and every woman uh, holds in her body a story as big as myth, both sacred and shared. Not bad, all (laughs) of those uh, accolades. I was, yeah, that's makes me blush still. (laughs) So um, tell me about this work and uh, we have a hint or two of of maybe what uh, you did and again uh, trained I guess you would say uh, maybe just trained as a writer not necessarily a fiction writer but uh, doing a lot of writing and then uh, this comes along. How did you you said you really uh, began sort of the genesis was a poem that you had written at the workshop? No, I, it was after the week I came home from the workshop. I was feeling very inspired and decided to write a poem um, that first week and then continued it on when I was at Rivendell, just kept working along. And as I worked um, writing these poems, I saw a, a few threads sort of running through all of them. Uh, one was on just I guess I consider walking and hiking and being outdoors a very um, contemplative thing in my life. I spend a lot of time walking and hiking and being in the woods whenever I can. So, um, and I never listen to music or anything when I'm walking because I do like that still quiet time. Mm -hmm. So um, I started writing these poems, the the walking and uh, trails and paths that life takes, you know, the, the turns, the, as I mentioned, the very convoluted turns and path that brought me to this book. Mm. Um, but I th- also thought about the journeys that my ancestors made when they came to Kentucky, that my parents took when they left eastern Kentucky and went all the way to the other end of the state to a place that was very different mm. than they were used to. So, uh, and one of the poems that I wrote was in 
response to J.D. Vance's oh. Hillbilly Elegy. Uh-huh. Controversial. It's a controversial uh-huh. book um, that a lot of us see as not telling the whole story mm-hmm. of, of Appalachia. And also those of us who left, you know, with families who needed to leave uh, Eastern Kentucky mm-hmm. in the mountains, you know, mm-hmm. for survival. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and he has a he has his own story and his family's story. But I felt like it wasn't telling the complete story of what many of us mm-hmm. and our families experienced. Can you read a little bit from that one, if not sure. the entire? Uh, sure, poem? I can read it. Yeah. It's called Expat Elegy, and it begins with two definitions of the word expatriate. A person who lives outside their native country, Oxford Dictionary. Living in a foreign land, Merriam-Webster's. They were Appalachian expats, transplanted hillbillies, but best not call them that unless you too are from the mountains. Unlike the Clampets, they didn't strike oil or gas or or mine an unknown seam, nor did they head to Beverly Hills. They loaded up and left home for a multitude of reasons, survival being high on the list. They were refugees from another war on coal, way before Barack Hussein Obama was ever born, wherever that was, and before the EPA ever existed. During another downturn in coal country, they ran a store and made the noble mistake of extending credit for food as they witnessed neighbors go hungry, knowing full well that desperate people without jobs rarely repay debts. Left holding an empty bag, broke and nearly broken, their only way out was out. Did you send that to J.D. Vance? I, no, I haven't. Maybe I should do that. I should do you probably that. should. Um, do you have uh, one of your poems that addresses uh, those pathways and those journeys or something that relates to uh, either your own journey or, or something that you're recalling uh, from maybe some ancestors? I do. I have a couple of poems. Um, one is the title poem, Retracing My Steps. Blurred by inattention, life passes unobserved, and I must remind myself where I am. I no longer notice details along the way to the office, the grocery, the bathroom, the bed, but when I set out to retrace a lonely, forgotten footpath, kicking up dust, leaves, debris, I conjure a younger self. She finds my hand, guides, nudges, forces me to remember her and who we used to be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, I, I, I can see that, and you're really sort of going, going yeah. on your way there. Well, I, I was inspired when I was um, working on these poems. I was reading a lot of Bell Hooks poetry, too, yeah. and I included one of her, mm-hmm. a line from her poet, poetry, um, actually with her book All About Love, I included as an epigraph, which is mindful remembering lets us put the broken bits and pieces of our hearts together again. So I think that, you know, remembering sort of um, helps you, um, I don't know, figure out your life yeah. at, in different ways that you've not thought about before. Yeah. Do you um, tell me uh, uh, what your process is? Uh, tell our listeners uh, about 
about writing. So many people want to write. Mm-hmm. And your path to uh, becoming a writer has maybe become a little bit different than, than a lot of people right. that they might run into. So right. just talk about the, the process of writing and the, the process of workshopping, the process mm-hmm. of, of doing something and then leaving it alone and coming back to it. Just talk about okay. writing. Well, I'm happy to do that um, because I do think that um, the habits that you build, particularly like in an MFA program, or if you want to do a, a DIY kind mm-hmm. of creating your own writing life, there are habits and routines that you build that I think um, spur your creativity. I think for me, getting up early and writing in the morning, going to my office, you know, as soon as I make coffee and starting to write in the morning, it's when I do my clearest thinking. And also, um, you know, I sit down and I know it's time to go to work. You know, I could sit around and sit on Facebook yeah. <laughs> for a long time, but I don't need to. Don't need to do that. Is it hard for you to get started at times? Um, there are times, yeah, that life sort of gets in the way of of your writing life. Yeah. But I think making that commitment is the way you get around writer's block because you know you are there. You you carve out this time for yourself, especially as a new writer. Yeah. One of the things I've done this past spring is teach a cl- teaching a class that was funded by the Kentucky Foundation for Women for, um, to design and teach a class called It's Never Too Late, Creating a Writing Life at Midlife and Beyond. Mm-hmm. And so I taught that class this spring at the Carnegie Center and as a free class um, specifically geared to women who to help them find their voice. A lot of times... Um, I think periods of transition in life are really important creative opportunities. You know, whether you've, um, you're now an empty nester, the kids have gone to college, you've got this chunk of time that you might have been doing, you know, child rearing mm-hmm. things. You might be retiring from a career. You might be divorcing. Mm-hmm. You might have other family transitions. Mm-hmm. Those are particularly rich times, I think, to to mine, you know, those, those periods in your life, the emotion of those lives, and write your way through it. And I think um, that's one of the things I wanted to get across to the students in my class. So what I did was put together uh, what I had gleaned from my own MFA program and from a, a good selection of writing craft books, like from Anne Lamott and Natalie Goldberg and Stephen King, and just sort of glean the, mm-hmm. some really good points on how you build this life for yourself. Mm-hmm. What kind? Of, how do you build the toolkit that's going to um, let you become a writer to reinforce that commitment mm-hmm. you've made? Uh, I'm talking to Jane Waldrop, who is a, a poet and a writer. Do you, do you call yourself a a poet and a writer, a writer. Uh, well, mostly a writer. A writer who uh, delves into poetry and fiction yes. and 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 other things too. Jane is going to be at the Kentucky uh, Book Fair uh, in November. Uh, she'll be a, a first time attendee, along with, uh, or at least as an author. Absolutely, uh, as a and I'm so thrilled to be to be at the Kentucky Book Festival and Book Fair. I've been attending for years and years, you know, as a as a patron and as a, a book 
lover and I guess book hoarder almost, <laughs> you know. But I love being there. I love the opportunity to meet writers and have them sign their books. And so I'm thrilled it's, about being there. It's such an exciting time. And, and we're so, uh, we Kentucky Humanities are so uh, uh, fortunate to uh, to be able to, to manage it and have something to do with it now, uh, have everything to do with it. Uh, uh, the blame uh, rests right here <laughs> if, or the praise. No, it's a wonderful day in Kentucky. It is. I think and it's it one is of so, Kentucky's best days. It is. And it's so f- just foundational for yeah. our literary community yeah. here, which is so strong. Yeah. Um, you, um, we also talked about the other writing that you did mm-hmm. as uh, in in journalism and then mm-hmm. in uh, in fiction and and that sort of thing. Tell tell me about some of your other writing that you've done besides your your first uh, poem. And and we don't have time for you to read all of this, but uh, this piece was just published, was it in, yes, uh, in uh, Deep, Deep South, South Magazine? magazine. Yes, uh, called Dog and Bone. Yeah, tell me about yes. that. Well, I wrote this piece um, recently. Um, and it's all about sort of a lifelong love of dogs and also the realities of, of aging and facing health issues. So all of those factors sort of uh, played a strong role in how this piece came about. And I was fortunate to get it published in Deep South Magazine. What is Deep South Magazine? I'm not familiar it with it. Is, it's a wonderful publication. It's an online magazine that looks at life and literature and arts and culture in the south hmm. and where are they headquartered or where are they uh, is it online it's uh, online <laughs> uh, yeah 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 so, so they're out there in the virtual yeah writing they're out world there somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. yeah yeah well and what other uh, pieces are you most proud of or have you gotten published that that you'd like to tell us about uh, well i've been really happy to be included in the uh, anthology of appalachian writers uh, volume last year and this year, mm. and so I was pleased to be, you know, in the company of mm. Mark Harshman and Silas House, and uh, you know, it was. I think Crystal Wilkinson is going to be the volume editor this oh, year. Oh, really? In the yeah, so each year as if she could take on another responsibility. My <laughs> yeah. guess, and that that, See, that woman she is, is the, superwoman. Though. Oh, I'll she tell can, you, she yeah. can do it. Uh-huh. She can get it done if anyone can't. But each year, um, a writer from Appalachia is the the editor and writer in residence at Shepherd University. And so that's how this volume comes about. Hmm. Well, why don't we go out and, and have you just uh, leaf through uh, retracing um, okay. and, and choose one more that you can uh, read as we close out uh, and listen to Jane Waldrop reading from her new published work. Thank you. I'm going to read Coming Through Cumberland Gap. The well-marked trail leads straight uphill, crossing a stream that roars and echoes through a cave, once a shelter for travelers. The water cuts through generations of stone, nine generations to be exact, since my people walked this way. My thighs and lungs strain, but I push on, shod in appropriate footwear, swathed in tick repellent, lathered in sunscreen, energized by abundant color and surprise along the path. Shocking pink blossoms line redbud branches to frame electric blue skies, and patches of wildflowers vary with shade or sun through the woods. How hard, I think as I climb, 
it must have been to head off into the wilderness to find the notch between mountains for admission to a place called Kentucky. The path wasn't new and it wasn't theirs, but one long worn by others before we claimed it and made it our own. While I can't change the history of loss and taking, the road conjures those who came before. My eight great-grandmother came on foot with children who were surely hungry, tired, and with soiled pants. Was it her idea to make the journey? Did she believe it was her way to a better life? Were they cold, barefoot, sick, scared, snake-bit, peaked? Her risky story makes me feel modern, fragile, and in awe of what it took to make it through the gap. Thank you. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky's stories for 46 years. The podcast was produced and edited by Morgan Lowe. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities. Humanities.